Hi, it's Hal Anderson. Thanks for checking out the daily podcast for my show, Connecting Winnipeg. And if you can, please listen live weekdays from 10 to noon on 680 CJOB. First, let's begin with those confusing food labels. Stuart Smythe is an associate professor of agriculture and resource economics at the University of Saskatchewan. Stuart, good morning. Good morning, Hal. Why are these labels so confusing? Do they, they, they shouldn't have to be that confusing, but they are. I'll just give you, and you know this already, I'm sure, but I'll, I'll read for you an interesting stat. New surveys says only 9% of us can properly read a nutrition label on a food product, and even more worrying than that, 13% identified the least nutritious food option as the healthiest, more than the number who were able to properly ID the healthiest. There's a problem here. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, I think a lot of this goes back to the fact that, you know, kids go through the, the elementary and the high school education system, but they just don't get a lot of basic information as to what a healthy diet looks like. And, you know, how do you eat, you know, balanced meals, you know, over the course of a day or a week from, from the various food groups that, that are essential for, for healthy um, healthy lives. So, yeah, this is a huge challenge. I guess they, listen, I've always been kind of a calorie counter. So for me, I look, first thing I look for on a product is calories. My wife looks for different things, gluten. Uh, so I guess they need to be detailed because different people look for different things. But I think sometimes they are more confusing than they need to be. I think, there's there's definitely part of, that that's pretty accurate that there are and the numbers vary I, I so 20 years ago there was research out of the University of Calgary that said that 80% of consumers never read labels they only read labels in you know if they're looking for gluten-free products or, or someone in their household has special dietary needs I think the pandemic's changed some of that. Um, I've seen some studies in the last 12 to 18 months that are saying, uh, you know, about half of consumers read labels. So, so maybe part of the awareness is just the fact that when we go to the grocery store, we know we, you know, we've got the, the items on our grocery list that we buy, you know, two or three times a month, and we've done so for a decade or longer. And so we don't even look at those labels. So then if someone says, well, you know, what's the nutrition? You know, we're kind of baffled because we've never really looked at the labels on those those types of food products. What are the ones that bother you the most, right? We see light, whether it's L-I-T-E or L-I-G-H-T, gluten-free. I mean, they, they promote gluten-free on, uh, on some things where it really it doesn't matter. It's it's just a phrase that I, I think some for some people it really does matter. I think for others it's, oh, gluten-free, when it was gluten-free all along, nothing new here, but they promote that it's new, hoping to get you to pick it up and, and put it in your grocery cart. What are the ones that bother? you that's a big one absolutely and there's been studies that have shown that that type of branding you know gluten-free gmo free is another one that's completely meaningless um food companies slap these on hoping to attract the consumer's eye and they can charge a you know a few percent higher because they've stuck that label on and and the studies show that that those terms gmo free and 
you know, uh, gluten-free are, are, are largely meaningless when it comes to providing information to consumers. Mm-hmm. I have to ask you, uh, a debate in my house on a regular basis is, is that still good? <laughs> you know, uh, most foods have a best before date. Sometimes it's a full-blown expiry date. I, I always say, listen, best before doesn't mean I can't eat it after that date. I'm old school. Mm-hmm. My wife disagrees with me on this a lot. I think it's a debate in a lot of households. I'm I'm old school. I just give it a smell. And I might even taste a little bit and, and you know, and make a, a judgment call. Who's right? I'm, I'm with you, Hal. So I grew up in the age, you know, if you pulled the cheese out from the fridge and there was a bit of mold on it, you know, your mother advised you to just, just cut that bit off and, and then take what you needed. Um, I think in a lot of cases, we do throw tremendous amounts of food away that we that are still perfectly safe to 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 use and and part of the reason that food companies have gone to these is because because of lawsuits so they're you know they're putting on best before dates that are way in advance of what um, could potentially be dangerous to our health and so it results in us as consumers tossing products in the garbage that we don't need to and and yeah, absolutely. You know, I I encourage people to to do exactly what you do. You know, give it a smell. You know, dip your finger in if you can, and and give it a bit of a lick. And if you know if it's not agreeable to your palate, then yeah, get rid of it. But if it tastes like you know, or smells like it normally should, um, you know, encourage people to to continue using those products. I will be playing this back for my wife later on today. Thank you very much, Stuart. Um, <laughs> you mentioned give her my food- number. Yeah, I'll give her your number. You mentioned food waste, and we're talking inflation today. I think the number is 8.7% higher food prices in the latest inflation numbers, dairy and eggs, uh, the two big ones. But, I mean, food costs are higher. And so what we just talked about, you know, not throwing a food out because of the uh, the date on the package. I'm going to talk more about this with home economist Getty Stewart in about half an hour but food waste is is huge right now with prices where they're at. Yeah, that you know, there, there's estimates and and it it's into the billions of dollars just just in Canada alone, and and so that you know if you're looking at ways to reduce um, the amount of money you're spending on groceries is is maybe take a look at um, you know what's going into your garbage, what aren't you know what's not getting consumed in in that normal time periods and um some of the the really good advice i've seen is you know take two months and and monitor what what you're throwing away so if you're throwing out half a head of lettuce then then change your purchase patterns so that you're buying smaller amounts um of these products initially and that way you're able to use them up before they start to to go bad and and you can cut your waste by you know some some estimates are saying 50 to 70 percent just by changing the the size of the the product you buy in the first place right Stuart. thanks a lot for this i really appreciate it you're welcome hal have a great day thank you you too Stuart smythe is at the university of saskatchewan one of the things we're talking about on cgob today is these confusing food labels great text message including a picture from a listener just now at 204 it is a picture of 250 million year old salt so it's rock salt 
250 million years old. It says so right on the label, but it's got an expiry date of 2019, so it's expired. I mean, you know, come on. As I said, we're going to talk more about this in about half an hour. Home economist Getty Stewart is going to join us, GettyStewart.com. She's always great on this. But let's open up the phones here as we get ready to take our first break. We'll check the weather forecast, and when we come back, I want to talk to you. Grab a phone line at 204-780-6868, 204-780-6868. Uh, talk labels with me a little bit. Let's have some fun with that today. They are confusing. Food prices, all the price of everything is on the rise. Food prices are up. What are you doing to save a couple of bucks? Are you worried about inflation? How is inflation impacting your family. Joining us right now, Dr. Shelley Zeroth, uh, rather, a, cardi- a cardiologist and director of the St. Bonifacio Hospital Heart Failure and Transplant Clinics. Uh, doctor, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for making time for me. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, I've got a couple questions for you aside from this, but we want to focus in on on COVID and heart health. There's been a lot of talk about how COVID has affected our hearts. What can you tell us? Well, um, certainly COVID can affect the heart. Um, and in fact, you know, there's a lot of, uh, some people have some vaccine hesitancy and, and the numbers actually speak to the fact that uh, COVID is uh, more likely to affect your heart than receiving the vaccines. We've certainly seen people with inflammation of the heart related to COVID. It can cause clots and heart attack. Um, and it, it really is, it's more than just a respiratory virus. It really affects the vascular system of the body. And I think that that's um, important for people to recognize. And of course, the heart is a major component of the vascular system. Sure. Would you notice the change? If you had COVID, would you be able to tell that there might be a problem with your heart, or is it more an invisible issue? Yeah, the symptoms are really blurred in terms of differentiating lung-related symptoms versus heart-related symptoms. Um, COVID affecting the lung and heart can cause chest pain, and it can also cause shortness of breath as well. Um, so um, if you're having trouble breathing, it's always important to seek medical attention. You mentioned um, uh, the vaccine and heart health. There are some people out there who uh, refuse to get the vaccine because they said it would damage their heart or cause other health issues. Is there some truth to that? There is uh, some evidence that in younger males, there's an increased risk of myocarditis. Um, however, again, the risk of, uh, you know, COVID, acquiring COVID um, and having serious complications from that um, is, is not insignificant. Fortunately, in Manitoba now, we also have non-mRNA vaccinations for those who may be um, hesitant the majority of people, um, you know, are, are safe uh, following a vaccination. And we know that that third booster shot is going to be essential right now during this current wave to reduce your risk of hospitalization. Um, and so, and even some subsets of our population now have access to the opportunity for a second booster shot. Um, and, and we should be doing everything that we can um, to acquire those booster shots 
the vaccinations are safe. And for those who don't want mRNA vaccinations, there is an alternative now. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to ask you about that because I do hear that from a lot of people, uh, that they'd rather take their chances with the virus uh, than the vaccine, uh, which uh, I think has been proven again and again and again uh, that that is, is just not the case. Omicron, any difference with, as the variants have changed, any difference in COVID's impact on our heart health? We know that Omicron behaves differently. These different variants behave differently. Um, Have you noticed anything or anything on the research front on that? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And so as we've switched from Delta to Omicron, I don't think that we've seen a difference um, in cardiac symptoms. Um, perhaps we've seen a milder illness overall with Omicron, but it's, it's really hard to know. Um, our percentage of individuals who've had, um, you know, a, a vac- three shots of the, the vaccination is significantly higher now than when we were going through waves with Delta. Um, we need to improve upon the percentage of people who've had three shots and move on to four. Um, so it, it's, um, it's, it's not clear, I think, at this point, whether or not uh, one, one uh, variant is, is milder in terms of cardiac manifestations than the other. We've talked a lot over the past couple of years about long COVID. Are you at St. Bonavis Hospital uh, having patients in your office who are suffering with uh, long COVID symptoms, maybe impacting their heart? Are you seeing those people? Yeah, long COVID, I think a lot of clinicians are just wrapping their heads around. And there are some clinics and and specialists within Winnipeg who probably have more experience than a cardiologist. But we do see things like postural drops in blood pressure, tachycardia, fatigue, difficulty exercising. Sometimes that's related to myopathy involving the, the skeletal muscles. Um, sometimes that's just, you know, what appears to be, um, it's, almost, it's referred to as a POTS sy- uh, syndrome, uh, postural um, orthostatic tachycardia syndrome that can occur. Um, and, you know, what, what I can say is the symptom burden appears to be real. Um, it is causing disability in highly functioning individuals. And it's just another reason why we really need to push for people to get those additional booster shots um, to avoid uh, a more severe complications of COVID and to avoid COVID altogether. The cardiac wing or cardiac unit at St. Boniface is, is incredible. Over the years, I've done many interviews with doctors like you from there. I've done radiothons and you know, telephones. Over the years, I, I have really come to value St. Boniface, especially uh, in the cardiac area, I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about some new treatments because you, you are um, seeing some new treatments, and I think it's important people know about those. Yeah, just uh, in the last week or so, we've had um, Health Canada approve uh, a drug called empagliflozin uh, in patients with chronic heart failure. And although we've had drugs approved for heart failure in the past, What's novel about this announcement is that it is for patients living with heart failure, but it doesn't matter what their overall ejection fraction is. And their ejection fraction is their heart pumping score. It tells you 
um, how well your heart is pumping. And some people have reduced ejection fraction, and some people have preserved ejection fraction and an, a higher score. Until recently, those individuals with the higher ejection fraction score we didn't have an evidence-based therapy for. Um, and now we do, following the Emperor Preserve trial, it was just published um, last summer, in fact. So this was a rapid turnaround by Health Canada, recognizing one of the largest unmet needs in cardiovascular medicine to have a treatment for this population of patients. So now it simplifies everything for clinicians. It simplifies everything for patients. This is a drug, regardless of where you fall on that score, that will reduce your cardiovascular risk, make you feel better, and keep you out of hospital. Hmm. Shelly, do you worry about our heart health? Uh, over the past couple of years, a lot of people have put off visits to their doctor. Uh, do you do you worry about that, that uh, we may at some point see more people with heart issues that have been delayed, You, uh, someone like you seeing them, being delayed because of the pandemic, because of COVID? Yeah, that's a, a legitimate concern. Uh, and we do have data to support that there is a backlog in procedures, including coronary angiograms um, and cardiac surgeries. And certainly there are wait lists um, at clinics. Um, we worked hard to transition to remote visits early on in the pandemic. We are back to seeing patients in person in the heart failure clinic as well. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I know that um, Shared Health is working on uh, ways to evolve technology as well to access more patients um, in a remote matter as well. So um, lots of changes. We do have statistics from Canada. The Canadian Cardiovascular Society uh, follows a, or has a database called C3I, which shows um, the ebbs and flows in terms of changes in hospitalization based on waves of COVID as well. It's a, it's a, it is a real factor. Um, the healthcare systems everywhere um, in all the provinces um, are recognizing this backlog and, and trying to take forward active steps in resolving these issues. But, you know, if you're having chest pain, if you're short of breath, please seek medical attention. And Shelly, before I let you go, I mentioned I was having you on the show in our morning news meeting, and one of our reporters said, oh, hey, ask her about the new uh, smart watches the new uh, iphone uh, smart watches now i don't have one never have but apparently the latest version is uh incredible it it, uh, it can tell you so much about your heart not just your rate is this a good thing or, or a bad thing i think information is always a good thing um, and healthcare providers are recognizing, um, you know, the opportunities to embrace the data from some of these devices. They aren't always accurate, however, um, and so uh, it's um, it, it may warrant additional testing if it says something is going on. It doesn't hurt to inform your primary care provider if your your watch is saying something. Um, and I myself actually have published a, a manuscript of a patient who had um, a very significant, severe, abnormal rhythm of the heart that was detected by one of these smartwatches. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, and she printed it out for us, and she gave us permission to publish her case. So, 
um, there is some legitimate value. And, um, you know, there's even little uh, devices you can buy at home that can give you an EKG now as well. And I think that there's power in empowering our patients. And um, we just have to be able to um, understand how to incorporate the data from these devices into um, our healthcare system and into our decision-making for patients. Dr. Zeroth, really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Take care. Getty Stewart is a home economist. She's a regular here on CJOB. Her website is gettystewart.com. Getty, good morning. Good morning, Hal. I know you listened to my conversation at the start of the show with Stuart Smythe, the Associate Professor of Agriculture and Resource Economics at the University of Saskatchewan. We're all day today talking about these confusing food labels. I want you to weigh in yet again. We talk about this quite often on how to save money when it comes to our food as inflation is driving, well, the price of everything, including food, higher. But weigh in on the confusing food labels and then the text messages, emails, and phone calls that I took after we chatted with Stuart at 10. You betcha. As for the, the labels, uh, the front of the box is uh, really has been taken over by marketing companies. And most of the information there is to draw your eye, to catch your attention, but is pretty much meaningless. So, you know, uh, Stuart mentioned some of the, the, the claims like the GMO, the natural, whole grains, organic, even the gluten-free label. I mean, you see gluten-free on things like chicken or raspberries that have never had gluten. So um, those front-of-package claims are just there to draw our attention. They are less regulated. So what I recommend is ignore the front of the package. Just ignore it. Like figure out, okay, I want pasta or I want uh, this fruit or this vegetable or whatever. And then look only at the back. Look at the ingredient list. Look at the allergens. So the common allergens, so gluten sources must be listed on the back of the package right underneath the ingredients. So look at that for your gluten-free information because it is very important information and that's where you'll find it um, and where you can trust the information. Same with the ingredient list. That's where you'll find the information that you can trust because it's very strictly regulated. Look at them from a nutrition perspective. Look at the nutrition facts. And there's two things I look for. It could be three things. Like you look at calories. And if that's important to you, absolutely. absolutely. Continue to to look for that. That's great information for you. Uh, The things I look at are, number number one, I look at the serving size and see, yep, that's about the amount that I eat. That makes sense for me. And then I can look at the the values in those uh, nutrients, and I look at nutrients that are most important to me, like calcium or iron, which vitamins, what what kind of fiber is in there, um, fat, cholesterol, and sodium as well. I want those to be as low as possible. The way I know whether a food meets my criteria for low in fat, cholesterol, and sodium, high in fiber, nutrients, and, and vitamins, is I just look at two percentages. I look for 5%, which is an indication that the daily value is low. So I want 5% or less fat, cholesterol, or sodium. And I want 15% or more of fiber, calcium, the vitamins I'm interested in, and iron. So if a food hits that, I know it's a food I want to put in my basket. 
that's that's my criteria. That's what I look for. I look for a short ingredient list, ingredients that I like and know and, and feel comfortable with. I look for allergens. And then I look at 5% for the things I want a little of and 15% that I want a lot of. Now, if I see something where it's 5% fiber or um, I know that that's a little, so I'm going to reach for a box that has more fiber. Does that make that's sense? Very, that's very helpful. That That is great. Um, I'm just about out of time. What, what do you, would you be able to come back tomorrow? Because inflation's not going anywhere. In fact, it's probably going up. Can you come back tomorrow so I can do a full segment with you on uh, on some things that we can do to try and save money when it comes to our food? Can, can you do that, Getty? Absolutely. At, at 8% inflation, we've got to save money on our groceries. I can help you with that. No kidding. All right. We're going to book you in for tomorrow. Getty, thanks a lot for this, and I'm sorry I ran out of time. All good.